Welcome to the Innovate for Impact podcast. This podcast is for leaders in the social sector like you who want to make a difference. Each episode is packed with practical ideas on how you can be more innovative and create an even bigger social impact. We share our ideas on what you can do and also speak to leaders from the sector to share best practice. So let's get into it and let's talk impact. Hey, it's Dan here. We're taking a break from recording the podcast over the next few weeks, so we thought we would share with you our favorite and most popular guest episodes for 2022. This episode is with Paul Ronalds from Save the Children, and it's called How Save the Children Are Using Innovative Methods to Diversify and Grow Their Funding. On this episode, we speak with Paul all about why Save the Children are pursuing innovative options for funding and business models, how Paul and his team were able to get the wider organization on board with pursuing some of these ideas, and what are the opportunities out there for business model or financial innovation. We hope you're having a great Christmas and New Year break, and we're looking forward to chatting with you in the new year when we are back on board. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. You've got Dan Bentley here and I'm also joined as per usual by Tracy Newman from Impacto Consulting. But today we've got a very special guest. We've got Paul Ronalds from Save the Children. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. Thanks very much. It's great to have you on. Just before we do sort of get into it, would you just like to tell everybody who you are and uh, what do you do? Thanks, Dan. So my day job is as Group CEO of Save the Children Australia, which uh, is one of Australia's largest non-government organisations. We work uh, in every state and territory in Australia, providing services for children, as well as in the Pacific region and then internationally through Save the Children International. But Dan, for the last three or four months, I've actually been seconded to lead a global project looking at how Save the Children can leverage innovative finance and take new technologies to scale to have a dramatic impact on the well-being of the world's children. That's pretty exciting. That's some of the stuff we're going to sort of talk to you about today, which is a good little segue. So in terms of our topic for today, we wanted to get Paul on the podcast to talk to us about some of the work he's done previously at Save the Children around looking at innovative ways that they can achieve their mission through looking at different finance models and business models and all those sorts of things of, of how they can do things differently, but also touch on a little bit around the current work that Paul and the team are working on across the global organization around doing similar sorts of things, um, looking at different models and also digital solutions on how to create more impact. Yeah, Paul, do you just want to sort of tell us a bit about what's the story of why you're here and why are you looking at pursuing these innovative ways of doing things? We've really got three fundamental problems, I think, for an organisation like Save the Children that's trying to really have a large-scale impact on some of these global issues. The first is that clearly the amount of funds that are available globally for the sorts of things that Save the Children cares deeply about is massively insufficient. The United Nations estimates that there is about a $2.5 trillion annual funding gap to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. So that's the first big problem. The second big problem is that it's actually getting worse, not better. The combined impact of COVID, climate change and different conflicts, the most recent being the situation in Ukraine, are actually reversing some of the global indicators of children's well-being for the first time in 100 years we're going backwards. And then the third big issue is that the funding that is available is often not the right sort of funding to be able to use to really scale innovation. Most of Save the Children's work is funded by grants. Grants tend to be on average about 18 months long. And we know that if you really want to scale a new 
technological innovation, for example, often it can take four or five years before you're really being able to demonstrate the potential impact. And so there's just this big mismatch between the funding that is available and what we need to take innovation to scale. Yeah, that's certainly something, uh, particularly around that funding challenge that we hear quite a lot, that it's not just about starting something, it's actually about taking it to scale. And that's where the real innovation comes in sometimes. And that's not necessarily how many grants are established and the usual sort of time frame doesn't really allow for that broader piece where you can really maximise the value that you get from that technology spend. Yeah. So we've been exploring alternative ways to overcome this problem in Australia initially for a number of years. And that led us to, for example, set up the first impact investment fund run by a charity in Australia. It's a small fund, but we've now deployed about 30% of the capital into four different investments, principally in, in the sort of ed tech and e-health space. And that's a real sort of proof of concept, if you like. And already the sort of access that we're getting to some of these new innovations that we think have enormous potential to address some of the world's most significant problems is really, really exciting. And so that's encouraged us to think about whether we can do that on a global scale, start to develop a portfolio of different types of funds, not just here in Australia, but internationally. And it's also meant we're exploring other sorts of, of innovative finance mechanisms. And so as both of you know, the sort of term innovative finance, of course, covers a really broad range of different mechanisms. Everything from results-based finance contracts through to impact investments funds, this thing called parametric insurance that everyone uh, is a little bit confused about, different loan mechanisms, climate financing, which I think is a really exciting potential area for funding, and a range of others. So the new innovative vehicle that I'm helping to, to establish globally will actually look to use that full range of innovative finance mechanisms and to then invest in a range of, of new technologies to have much greater impact for children. When you look at those problems, they are huge and massive. And if we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to get what we've always got. And, you know, when you see that those results start to go backwards, it's very easy to look at that and go, wow, this is massive and the scale is too big and, and what can we do? And I love the idea that you've just totally flipped it on its head and said, okay, well, yes, past thinking isn't going to get us where we need to go. So let's, let's be really future focused and let's actually lead the way and create those things to give us that proof of concept and actually really lead the way in terms of innovation so that other people can then see what's possible. And the potential is huge, Tracy. So if we think about blended finance, so this is where you might be using a mix of grants and commercial finance, we're averaging about $9 billion a year of investment in that space. Private capital mobilized by what are called sort of development finance institutions, that's at about 40 to $50 billion a year. And of course, the really big one is impact investing. And it's hard to get a good grip on, on just how big that is, but it's somewhere probably from between about $500 billion and $2 trillion, depending on how much you define the sort of impact orientation. So these are massive funding pools that traditionally organisations like Save the Children have just ignored. So that's on the sort of financing side. On the impact side, that's equally exciting. So one of the great things about my job at the moment is that I'm scouring the world to have a look at the latest new business models in, for example, EdTech. And I mean, the potential for EdTech to revolutionize education around the world is just really, really exciting. At the moment, we lack about 70 million teachers worldwide. That is, if we had a sort of reasonable class size in every school on the planet, 
we would need about another 70 million teachers. Clearly, we're not going to be able to train or recruit train that many teachers in any time soon. So EdTech is a fantastic tool to come alongside teachers, help improve the quality of the education that they're providing, but also help individual students perhaps catch up, particularly in the wake of COVID, given how many schools have been closed. And again, there, we've seen a doubling of investments into EdTech. And if we look forward to 2030, we're expecting about a 500% increase in investment in EdTech between today and 2030. Now, that's on average. If we think about some of the places that Save the Children works, Africa, some of the more remote places in Asia, it's probably more likely to be a 10 times increase in the use of EdTech. So it's easy to be pessimistic about the scale of the problems that face Save the Children. But on the other hand, there's some pretty exciting new innovations and new technologies that we can deploy. And that's just on the education. We could talk about health. We could talk about fintech. And and again, you know, already in response to the Ukrainian crisis, Save the Children is establishing its largest ever cash program, looking to make sure that we get cash into the hands of Ukrainian refugees as quickly as we can and across border. I mean, one of the big issues with the sort of traditional banking sector, of course, is that it's regulated within a state, that refugees who are moving across borders need to be able to be given cash in one location and take it with them across sometimes multiple borders. And so these new fintech operations are also making our humanitarian work so much more efficient and effective. So I'm pretty excited, as you can tell, from the potential to really get into some of these big issues. That's awesome. And, and I'm quite jealous of the, the role you get to play at the moment of getting to travel around and see these innovative business models and how it's all being done. That sounds, that sounds pretty cool. What's the journey been like to get the organization on board with thinking in this way and acting on some of these opportunities? You know, We speak to a lot of leaders in this space, and I think a lot of organizations know these opportunities are out there. But how have you been able to get your board and the wider organization and your people on board with pulling the trigger on some of these things? Really good question, Dan, because it, it, it can be actually really difficult. I mean, first of all, you've really got to sort of establish the burning platform. You know, what is the issue or set of issues, set of problems that the organization faces and needs these new innovations for? You know, like anything, you've generally got to communicate that multiple times, often until you're sick of hearing your own voice uh, in relation to it before people start to go, oh, yeah, actually, maybe you've got an issue. So that's one issue. The second one is boards can often be really focused around operational risk. And there's no doubt that some of these mechanisms bring new types of operational risks for boards to consider, and that can be difficult. So my encouragement is making sure that you're balancing those operational risks, which you know we need to be upfront and clear about, but have mitigations for, with the strategic risks. So if I look at some of the issues that Save the Children faces, for example, the the ed tech that we've just been speaking about, if we believe that there will be, say, a 10 times increase in the use of ed tech in the sorts of places that Save the Children works, if we're not deeply engaged in deploying education technologies to those sorts of places, aren't we irrelevant? How are we fulfilling our mission? So for me, that's a huge level of strategic risk. So I have a little slide that I'm almost always using in in every presentation I make, innovate or die, innovate or die, and making sure that you're making it as easy for boards to go forwards. So that's sort of managing the board from a, a risk perspective. The third issue is that there is no doubt that leveraging innovative finance and taking these new technologies to scale does require a different set of skills and capabilities than what NGOs like Save the Children have traditionally had in their organizations. 
So you need to be upfront about that and you need to go out and bring in those new capabilities to make sure that you are able to really understand the nature of the opportunities and be able to manage risk, respond to boards, concerns, etc. And we've done that over the last couple of years, particularly with the Impact Investment Fund, bringing in someone who had deep expertise in identifying pipeline opportunities to invest, conducting due diligence, really understanding the business model that entrepreneurs are, are developing. And then it's the post-investment support, making sure that we're able to leverage the Save the Children's global platform. And of course, you know, we operate in about 120 countries around the world. We've got about 25,000 people. If we can help entrepreneurs maybe operating in the education sectors be introduced to the ministry, you know, ministers of education in countries around the world, we can help those entrepreneurs scale up their businesses much faster. But it requires quite a deep level of, of engagement and support post-investment as well as all of that pre-investment. So making sure we've got the right team, the right capabilities to be able to do that is really, really critical. I saw Tracy's face on the video there when you said about repeating that mission and repeating the stories and the challenges. She talks about this a lot on our podcast for, and anyone that listens in knows this. She has a saying about, you know, it's almost at the point of where you become nauseous at hearing your own voice talking about this is when you're probably starting to get through to people. So that was absolutely uh, on point there. Are you looking for innovative ways for your organisation to deliver more impact? Take our online assessment and receive a customised report in your inbox that highlights exactly what to do next. It takes only five minutes to fill out and it's completely free. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au slash self-assessment. Part of this sort of getting that permission from the organization too, was it about starting small? Was that part of your approach to sort of say, let's let's try one or two things. And then now that you've sort of been able to get some traction and get people to realize we've been able to manage those operational risks, now it's about taking it global. Is Was that always your approach? Absolutely. So, I mean, the impact investment fund that we've started in Australia is a really good example. I mean, it's subscale. We raised about $7.5 million from investors, including one of our corporate investors, QBE deployed about a third of it to date into some great new initiatives. And really, that's been able to demonstrate, first of all, that we can bring in the money and then we can identify a fantastic pipeline to then invest in. And now, post-investment, being able to demonstrate the value add that Save the Children can provide to these social businesses. We've been able to really demonstrate that we can do those three things. And I think that that will only become stronger over the, the next 12, 18 months. We've also recently begun implementation of a results-based finance contract in Tasmania in early childhood education. So this was 50% funded by the Federal Department of Social Services and 50% funded by Ramsey, our largest philanthropic entity here in Australia. And again, while that's only $7.5 million over three years, it's a reasonable size for a results-based finance contract in, in Australia. But to me, it is, again, just a demonstration project about the opportunity to use this different type of, of contracting method to be able to take the best programs that we have to scale. And with my, my new hat on, we've developed already three concepts that we're looking to deploy at sort of the 25 to $50 million mark, two in nutrition and one in education. And we're absolutely then relying on a lot of the things that we learned in those first projects to be able to then argue for how we're going to manage risks and, and take these new ones to scale. So that would be my encouragement to listeners around where do we start if we do want to take advantage of this, start small, demonstrate capability and capacity, and then start to scale up from there. 
The other caution I would give is the sorts of things that we're doing here are only useful to solve a certain type of problem. I mean, there's no doubt that Save the Children continues to rely on philanthropy and, and normal grants to a significant extent, and nothing's going to change that. I mean, for a lot of our work, both here in Australia and globally, in places like Yemen or Ethiopia, Afghanistan, we need philanthropy. We need pretty normal grants given the nature of the problems that we're trying to solve there and the level of uncertainty and risks that is associated with those pretty fragile types of contexts. But that's, in my mind, only the reason why we should be looking for innovative finance where we can use it. It takes the pressure off some of that philanthropy and grant money, make sure that we're able to deploy it in the most important areas and then supplement it with, with these other innovative finance mechanisms elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's really important is that there are times and places that traditional approaches work really well for. And when we are innovating and we are looking at doing things differently, it releases some of that pressure. And it means the things that historically have always worked still work. It's just the context that is around them that needs to change. And that sort of gives you that agility then to to decide on the best approach. Whereas when you only have one approach you're sort of stuck with using that no matter what the situation is. And that's where sometimes that pressure can come in. The other thing that I heard you say that I think is really valuable that everybody can sort of take something out of is how you've thought about how you can add value in terms of relationships and in terms of, you know, the things that you already do really well. And I love that because it's not just thinking about what you need to be able to deliver a program and what you need to be able to work differently. You're also thinking about, well, what's the unique value that we have that we can bring to the table? And I think that's so helpful because quite often we're talking to people and they don't always get to see that value that they're providing because they're, they're always so focused on how do we collaborate, how do we bring people to our table and they're not necessarily thinking about, well, what is it that they offer back in return that's different from the services that they provide? Yeah, I think that's right, Tracy. I mean, it won't surprise either of you to learn that when we first went out to the market to say that Save the Children was going to run a commercial impact investment fund, there was a degree of scepticism. What would an NGO know about an impact investment fund? Well, my cheeky answer, which I generally kept to myself, was that the making the money bit is actually the easy bit. The really hard thing is the social impact. And that's what Save the Children has deep expertise about. And now, of course, I don't want to downplay the challenges around ensuring a financial return, particularly in some of the places where we work. But compared to solving really entrenched poverty issues, addressing deep-seated health issues in some of these really fragile contexts, that does actually seem a fair bit easier than our core work. But we still had to really demonstrate that we could recruit the right sorts of skills and capabilities, start to build a pipeline and add real value. But that's the exciting thing. I mean, we've invested in a really exciting e-health business called ThinkMD. And ThinkMD essentially have got some really smart software for tablets that are designed for relatively low educated community health workers. Now, these community health workers are the sorts of people that Save the Children employs either indirectly or directly in the thousands around the world. And they're often the people that are out talking to, to mums whose children might be suffering from acute malnutrition or waterborne diseases. And this software significantly improves the ability of these community health workers to be able to diagnose these children's health issues. Now, when you've got literally tens of thousands of community health workers and you give them a piece of technology like ThinkMD and you help them 
improve their diagnosis of children by four or 500%, I mean, that starts to become a really significant improvement in the effectiveness of your interventions. So that's the opportunity. Being able to show those sorts of examples, though, changes the game. People go, oh, I get it now. I can see what Save the Children's Global Platform combined with this entrepreneurial thinking and approach and these new technologies, what they can together do for children. And I'm hopeful that we will finish deploying this first fund in Australia uh, in the next 12 months or so and begin to look to raise a second fund. And I'm hoping that the second fund fundraising will be a lot easier than the first one, that some of that scepticism will have dissipated and we'll really be able to raise a more sort of sustainable level of funding and, and go from there. It's always a bit easier when you've got some runs on the board, isn't it? Rather than having to sort of go, look, we can do it. We can show you conceptually why we can do it. But once you've actually got some of those, it really makes a lot of people actually start coming to you sometimes and saying, hey, I've heard about your success. You know, How can we get on board with this as well, which is a lot easier for you guys. What opportunities are out there, Paul? What are some of the things that organizations and, and leaders of organizations that might be listening along to this today, what are some of the opportunities they can pursue and, and how can they go after some of them? I mean, there's a lot of pretty exciting ones on the horizon. Obviously, I think leaders should be thinking seriously about results-based finance contracts in our context. I mean, it's a great way to be able to make your organization really attractive to some of those donors or government partners who are somewhat you know, skeptical about the, the impact that you might have to be able to put your money where your mouth is and say, actually, only pay us if we can demonstrate these outcomes is terrific. Again, I would say start small, build your expertise. You do have to get your data right. You know, The key thing about results-based finance contracts is you need to be able to be really strong at collecting the data that you're going to rely on being able to analyze it. So Many NGOs will need to make sure that they've also upgraded their data capture, data analysis skills as part of that. How does that work? So from a funder's perspective, are they more likely to provide more funding if they don't have that impact measurement coming back? Is that how it actually kind of works? Is that funders are more likely to sort of put more money on the table? Is that the opportunity or is it? There's really two opportunities. One is I, I think actually an increasing number of our traditional sources of funding, particularly our government funding, will start to go results-based. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, at the moment, most of Save the Children's work is funded by grants where whether or not we actually make any difference doesn't matter to whether or not we get paid. I don't think that's quite good enough and I would be encouraging all government departments and large institutional funders to look at where they can deploy results-based finance contracts. That is only pay on the basis of, of outcomes rather than often what happens, which is you get paid on the basis of inputs. How many training sessions you run as opposed to what people actually learn and what behavior changes as a result of that. So I think that's important. I don't think everyone's going to be starting you know, their own commercial impact investment funds, but I do think that there are a range of other both new funding sources and new technologies on the horizon, which we also need to be keeping a really sharp eye on. So if we think about global broadband penetration, we've got at least three global businesses Elon Musk, Starlink, Amazon Project, Cooper, and OneWeb that are already, you know, out deploying a lot of satellites and combined with much cheaper handsets, we're going to have soon a situation where you can get access to broadband internet almost anywhere on the planet. Combine that with, you know, the ongoing increase in the power of computers. So just on the current trajectory, so the current trend line, we can expect computers to be significantly more powerful by 2030 than, than what they are, two, three times more powerful given the current trend lines. So even more powerful computers combined with global broadband penetration, these cheap handsets, and their new edtech and e-health technologies 
I mean, that's a fundamental change that every NGO needs to think about how they're, they're responding to. The other big one on the horizon is the opportunity that climate financing and particularly carbon credits has to change the, the funding situation. Save the Children recently invested in a business called Natural Carbon. We took a, a 30% stake in that business on the basis that if we could harness carbon and biodiversity credits to help close that sustainable development funding gap that I mentioned at the outset of the program, that has huge potential. So Natural Carbon's business is all about carbon credits with what are called co-benefits. That is where the generation of the carbon credit also improves a group's livelihoods, their access to education or health. And the best example of that is the work that Natural Carbon is doing with the Ocala people of Cape York. So the Ocala are the largest landholders, Indigenous landholders of, in Cape York, and they have changed their savannah burning approach to be able to reduce the levels of carbon emissions and are getting about a million dollars a year in funding for that. And that employs another about 30 environmental rangers, which has a second round of environmental benefits. But it also brings in some significant funding to families in what is a, otherwise a pretty difficult economic context up on the Cape. And so we can be much more confident that families have got the money that they need for education and health and other sorts of things. So these are carbon credits with co-benefits. And if we can deploy that sort of thinking globally, it's another great potential source of funding for organisations like Save the Children. Thanks so much for that, Paul. There's some really great tips there. I love how you spoke about you know, the start around how you got your organisation on board with this approach. Like I mentioned earlier, I think it's one of those areas that so many senior leaders are looking at these opportunities, but just not really quite sure how to get started. So I think you provided some some great tips there on, on what they can do and how you've been able to do that within your organisation. I also really liked as well the breadth of the different opportunities that are out there. I found that really helpful too, to hear the different ways that organizations can apply for some of these opportunities and, and get started. So I just wanted to say thanks so much for that. Is there anywhere that you would like to, to point our listeners if they'd like to sort of learn more about what you're doing there at Save the Children? Dan and Tracy, we are very close to launching our new global website, Save the Children Global Ventures website. So I suspect by the time this has gone to air, that'll be available to listeners and that will have a lot of information on the sorts of projects that we've been talking about today and certainly provide links through to people so that they can get some further information. Uh, so it'd be great to have your listeners uh, check out that website and provide any feedback uh, that they might have on it. Awesome. Well, we'll chuck a link to that in the show notes of this episode. So if you are interested in checking that out, just click on your podcast player and you'll be able to see that in the show notes and go through to the website. Um, we'll also just put a link to the usual Save the Children website as well if anyone else would like to, to check out a bit more around the work that they do. But hey, Paul, thanks so much for coming on the show. We know you're a busy man and it's great to get you to spend some time with us sharing your expertise. You are doing some amazing work there at, at Save the Children and you know most of our listeners would absolutely know about the work that your organisation already does. But I think it's been great to be able to hear behind the scenes what you've been doing and some of the exciting things that are coming down that pipeline. So thank you so much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. No, thanks, Dan. Thanks, Tracy. It's been great to chat to you today. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Innovate for Impact podcast. Any links to what we spoke about today will be posted in the show notes. If you'd like to know more about social innovation, visit our website where we have a heap of tools to help you on your way. Visit impactoconsulting.com.au. Thanks for listening. Now go out there and make an impact.